Hey, 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 welcome to your weekly Corner Spatey. It's me, Kieran, and I'm joined by Nick. Yo. And Rob. Hey. We have a special guest today. Um, why don't you introduce yourselves, Cole? Uh, yeah, my name is Cole Stengler. I'm a journalist uh, based in Paris, uh, French-American, and covering uh, covering French politics uh, for a number of different different outlets and also working, uh, uh, covering business uh, in television on television nice yes because this is this is our first this is not the first episode we've talked about france god no it's, it's impossible not to talk about france and talk about europe but this is this is like our official launch into french election season um or the year of pain i'm gonna call it because i'm not gonna like any of this i don't think we've yeah. avoided france a lot <laughs> we avoid france. And it's gone on too long yeah yeah uh, um, I, I found out recently someone who listens to the show is just like whenever I want to know what's going to happen on the next episode I just look at Kieran's Twitter account and a lot of my tweets this week have just been like I keep, I'm so depressed I don't want to look at France or just like resharing the video of like the anti-racist demonstrators at the Zemmour rally getting attacked and things like that so it's fun stuff but Kieran, you can't keep Kieran away from an election no <laughs> you can't election season <laughs> the numbers that go up it's great news junkies around the world are rejoicing <laughs> Who is going to be the next Jupiterian god emperor? <laughs> that, that's as, uh, that's my understanding of how French elections work. They're all they all you inherit that title. Yeah, who's the reincarnation of Pepin the Short or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to give you a little bit, uh, uh, you listeners at home, a bit of an overview, and uh, Cole's going to help us out as someone who actually speaks French and is there. Uh, uh, so that will be helpful. Um, so uh, Rob, why don't you? Uh, sure. Um, well, I feel like we got to start with. The <laughs> Jupiter himself, Macron, um, just as like a, an overview, um, he won in 2017 and there was a lot of talk of how he's going to completely change. I believe one of the, one of the uh, labels that you mentioned a lot here and is a startup nation. So on <laughs> balance, like what has, what's happened since 2017 that Macron is like, what kind of policies, how would you summarize it? Like what, what, what's the landscape now? Uh, compared to 2017, just on, to start on the policy political front, just to start. Yeah. I mean, you know, as, as you alluded to, Macron had this uh, sort of reformist agenda uh, that uh, he wanted to implement uh, upon taking office in 2017. Uh, and he was able to, to pass through a number of uh, pretty pro-business neoliberal reforms um, as he had promised during his 2017 campaign, and so some of the some of the major ones at the beginning of his presidency are uh, the uh, repeal and replacement of the of the wealth tax, uh, which covered people with with assets of 1.3 million euros and above. So in France, we're talking about very wealthy people uh, mm. that that got <laughs> this tax cut. You know, uh, 1.3 million euros in assets uh, and above. Uh, so scrapping that wealth tax. Uh, in his very first budget, uh, uh, again, in the early uh, days of, of uh, Macron's term, I think things have changed. He also uh, uh, passed through this overhaul of uh, labor law in France, essentially uh, making labor law uh, more pro-employer, putting caps on the amount of uh, money, the amount of damages that workers could win when they uh, win mm. cases in, in labor courts for, for wrongful uh, terminations and other violations of, of labor law, um, undermining the, uh, the, the 
overall uh, structure of labor labor law in France, uh, which had been in place uh, for for decades, in which you had mm. the, the the company level, uh, the sector level, uh, and then and the national level uh, of negotiations, and so the the kind of um, push for a while from the right uh, that Macron was able to get through was was more undermining these these kind of sectoral and national labor agreements and giving more uh, authority, broadly speaking, to the, lo- the local level, which is something that employers have pushed actually throughout Europe, as I'm sure you guys uh, are aware. So yeah. the, the, the repeal of the wealth tax, the labor law reforms, there was a reform of the, uh, of the rail system, the SNCF, which, as you may recall, triggered uh, large strikes. And that was sort of a big victory for, for Macron at that time, because the big question at that point was, is he going to be able to to carry out this quote unquote, you know, bold, whatever, courageous reform agenda um, when he's, you know, has to deal with the, the big union protests. And, you know, uh, he was able to successfully get through that, uh, that reform of the SNCF, the train system, which also included a, mm. a, 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 a repeal of the special uh, status that uh, railroad, railroad workers uh, used to have in France, um, giving them access to, to earlier retirement. Um, we've also had unemployment insurance reforms, again, uh, very much in this neoliberal direction of making it uh, essentially enhancing state oversight over people that are receiving benefits, making them, making them check in more with the state, similar to from what I understand what you guys have uh, in Germany, although maybe not all the way in that, in that direction. Um, a lot of what you're saying is like, I'm just sitting here being like, God, you guys had a wealth tax in 2017. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they got rid of those ages ago. Yeah. So, you know, there was, there's this whole reform agenda. And I think, th- you know, things really kind of came to a halt uh, because of two uh, important episodes that have sort of colored the Macron presidency since then, presidency since then, which is, of course, the Yellow Vest movement uh, that, that seemingly came out of nowhere, at least from their perspective, the, the government's perspective which interrupted this, uh, this reform agenda and forced them to actually spend a lot more money on, on handing out concessions to try to prevent people from, you know, burning down the, the Elysee Palace and continuing to protest. And then the other big reform agenda that was really blocked because of COVID was, uh, you know, the mother of all reforms in France, which is the, the retirement system, the pension system. Uh, and, you know, the, the government was in the middle of winning this battle in the sense that the union protest movement wasn't able to, to really uh, t- to stop the reforms from, from going through, but really in the early days of COVID. So I don't want to get my dates wrong here, but let's say I think March, April, uh, the government said in the beginnings of the COVID crisis, that they were going to table this reform and take it up at a later date. There was questions about whether or not they were going to do that before uh, the 2022 election. God knows why you'd want to do that now. But anyways, that was something they were thinking about. Now it's sort of postponed until after the presidency. So that was a lot of information. But basically, the trajectory is very, you know, uh, big economic reform agenda uh, okay. that, you know, is sort of interrupted, um, interrupted by by the yellow vest, interrupted by COVID. Um, and then in the meantime, you know, and maybe we'll get into it as well. There's been, uh, you know, a lot of emphasis on, you um, on national security uh, and and the and the, the supposed the fight against quote unquote separatism Islamist uh, separatism, which has also taken up political space uh, as well. That's sort of the broad brush of, of the Macron presidency so far. 
and I want to I want to correct me if I'm wrong here, but the, it sounds like a lot of the reforms he pushed, especially early days before the pandemic, before yellow vests, is a lot of the stuff that basically destroyed the Holland government. Uh, the reforms that like uh, the the Socialist Party couldn't get through, and where he's from as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, there was the 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 labor reforms. Um, you know, Macron sort of made a name for himself. Uh, as uh, Hollande's finance minister, um, uh, basically trying to reform French labor law. And we saw one big round of, of, of labor law reforms under Hollande, um, and Macron sort of delivered the, the second, um, you know, the second pillar of, of, of this, that same reform agenda. Again, uh, you know, the, the main idea being trying to really undermine this system of, you know, not to geek out too much about labor law, but the system of the, like, the pyramidal you know, way that labor law was set up before where you have, um, I guess, it's, I guess it's a reverse pyramid, right? So you have like the, 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 the local level, the company level, the sector level, the national level, and this very sort of, um, you know, defined way of, of, of conducting bargaining that that's, you know, frankly, a pain in the ass for American companies that, you know, are used to not having to deal with unions. I don't know. You think about a company like FedEx, uh, they don't like having to come to France and having to, and having to negotiate with all these unions while they're in, in the U S you know, spending money on, on union busters and making sure that their workers, uh, you know, don't have a voice at the workplace. So this is a, this is something that's been building for, for a long time. And, and anyway, to get back to your initial point. Yeah. You know, uh, we saw sort of some, uh, uh, you know, hints of this under, under Hollande Macron has sort of taken it further and he's taken further, you know, uh, stuff that other presidents have hinted at as well. Um, you know, Sarkozy has talked about retirement reforms. Juppé mm. uh, under Chirac attempted some type of retirement reform. Um, this is sort of trying to realize, uh, a, a, you know, an, a big business agenda, an employer agenda that, that um, you know, has been in the works for, for years, really. Really makes you feel like all the parties are different. <laughs> um, I just want to <clears throat> come back to something you mentioned um, when you said Macron's I don't know, like anti-terrorism measures. Is that mostly the global security law that was, uh, I think that was from what, last year? Um, that I think got a lot of attention. Is there anything yeah. else people should know about, like similar, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like what's going on with all that? Well, there was, uh, you know, for, fortunately, uh, there haven't been uh, really major terrorist attacks uh, in the last few years under under Macron. Of course, there were a few under, under Hollande. Uh, there was, uh, you know, this uh, attack of a, of a school teacher uh, who was killed uh, and that, uh, you know, triggered discussions about French secularism, but also very concretely uh, this question of uh, Islamist uh, terrorism, uh, you know, these terrorist attacks that have occurred in France, some of them, not all of them, some of them have been committed by uh, French people people born in, in, in France uh, and raised in France then then you know, getting attracted to jihadist movements. And so the idea uh, uh, for the government was to, was to, to pass a law to help, you know, fight what they called separatism, which is a pretty loaded uh, term because uh, some of the critics, and there were not that many of them um, were arguing that I think without, you know, uh, and, and, and to their credit, we're arguing that, uh, it was important not to inflate the threat of uh, jihadism um, with <laughs> Islam more more broadly. But even even if we get into the weeds, like conservative versions uh, of Islam, you know, which are not the same as as people that are uh, you know wanting to commit terrorist acts. In any case, 
so this was a significant push from uh, from the government as well. And we had this really kind of securitarian, I don't know if that's a word in English, push um, towards, towards uh, that law against separatism, which I guess they then eventually renamed the law uh, reinforcing Republican principles, I think, or something like that, um, because they realized separatism was kind of polarizing. Um, that and then the, the the national security law, which you know specifically wasn't about terrorism, but you know it was coming after the yellow vest protests uh, that were pretty violent. Um, you know, there's the 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 police unions are up in arms about these like you know lefty protests, Antifa, and so uh, you know. I think this was, in, in many respects, um, the government responding to this kind of moment, but also, you know, giving some crumbs to the to the police unions that want to just, uh, you know, bash them heads in or whatever. Oh, yes. So um, I guess that takes us to 2022. So um, it seems like, I don't know if you would say Macron, how much of Macron's agenda he's accomplished, how much he hasn't. Um, what would the second, another Macron term look like? Because he set the top of the polls sitting pretty steady at what 23 percent basically a shoe in for the final round for the, with the yeah shoe in for the final round yeah, 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 yeah. um so yeah. what's what's oh, 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 oh okay. Okay. Yeah, you're the expert please <laughs> let us know um but yeah so what what would a second macron term look like well, like what's what's still on the agenda for uh, yeah macron and i was just gonna say capital but yeah <laughs> I think I think they would, uh, you know, certainly Macron would want to move ahead with the retirement reform, the pension reform, finish the work that was interrupted uh, by COVID. Um, I think we'd see similar similar uh, pro business reforms, anti worker reforms. Um, uh, I think you know we'd also uh, Macron is putting a lot of emphasis on. On, on Europe too these days. And, and it's, it's, it's really, he's a, he's a difficult person to analyze, frankly, because uh, he says so many things and um, he often doesn't live up to what he says. Uh, and this is why often when people ask me, you know, you know, how, ideologically, how do you make, how do you make sense of Macron? Yeah, he is, he is a neoliberal, but he also understands you can use the state to your advantage in, in certain moments. Um, uh, and that French people are deeply, uh, or attach, are attached to the state as a way of redistributing wealth and supporting people, and that you can't really push the envelope too far. That you can you can push it a lot, um, but um, you know it's why we, we haven't really in France had you know there was never a, a Thatcher uh, or Reagan. People have people have compared Macron to that. Um, the, the French welfare state is sort of dying this really slow, drawn out death where even Macron realizes that he can't go too far, but, um, uh, I'm kind of getting away from what I was trying to say. Yeah. You know, he talks a lot about Europe, uh, uh, as well and partnering with the new, uh, you know, the new German government as well. So I think he wants to, you know, also try to, you know, assert France's role on the, on the international stage as well. Um, you know, and there's, there's this question and again, it's hard to know how much of this is real, how much of it is just, you know, communications kind of like and not to be taken seriously. But they have like, you know, the sovereign, sovereign Europe. I don't, frankly, I don't really know what to, what to make of that. I don't know what you guys make of that. Mm. I, I love Macron for, uh, for multiple reasons. One of unexpected. That, uh, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the, Mike. yeah, no, the, the, the first thing is that I, the good, like, I think a really good thing that you pointed out there is that Olaf Scholz is kind of, you know, low key made, not Macron is like, um, a model. Cause 
I don't think a German would want that, but there's definitely like a <laughs> level of cooperation that then Scholz is going to do that Macron didn't have. like Macron and Macron had a bizarre relationship of like him being obsessed with her as like a Europhile, but Macron and her Macron and Macron never actually like I mean not they never did they didn't see eye to eye, but it was just kind of like a it was more of a vibe rather than like a policy making thing mm. at the end of the day. And so Macron and Macron's last um meeting together, they went to like a winery and I had one of the oddest interactions I've ever seen of a world leader where um Macron like brought I don't know if this is like real or staged or whatever, <laughs> but like groupies to then have like them like take pictures with him and Mackle when they're at this like winery as a like send off. It's yeah, one of the creepiest things. And it happens pretty frequently with 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 Macron, but like it just seemed like doubling down on it because Mackle was there. And there's yeah. um but uh Schultz, the very first person that he met with yesterday, yeah, he's yeah, is Macron, uh Jens Stoltenberg, and Ursula von der Leyen. An absolute nightmare blunt rotation. <laughs> and it really um I, I think it's kind of I think it's kind of telling too in the sense of like, I mean, given I am the least educated person of of the group here when it comes to French politics, at least when it comes to Macron, but in the sense of how it like fits into that I think with the new coalition and this one Scholz's obsession with Europe. That's more so than the CDU. Like the CDU is not like they're anti-Europe, but Schultz like did a bunch of interviews in English, kind of being in the sense that then that we're going to re rekindle this relationship to Europe that Germany kind of tarnished after the financial crisis and after Brexit, and that um, he's definitely looking to like Macron as this kind of you know Germany and France coming together, you know, best of friends once again, going to re going to you know restart Europe, and you have a very neoliberal government while Merkel's government, the CDU government was. As a version of neoliberalism is kind of this bizarre German mercantilism yeah. that's like productive very, capital rather than yeah. rentier capital. And right I now. think that this is kind of a perfect stage of that. Then um, this German government that that, Mac, that Macron can work with actually for you know maybe the rest of this term, maybe a second term, uh, really can rekindle this bizarre like liberal obsession with just like European identity. That's pretty hollow actually when you start breaking it down. It's just like yeah. just vibing. And we've talked about on the show how the current German coalition is like vibe central. And Macron is liberal vibes. Liberals love him even though like he's relatively like kind of not popular you know i mean like if you were to lay out his policy positions they probably wouldn't agree oh no 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 they like the 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 atmosphere he gives off yeah um yeah i mean i think we've talked about this before in the podcast before that like um for like everything that macron is the one that he kind of like champions a little bit or at least from the international perspective is the kind of like europeanism um because i get the impression that macron is surrounded by has always been surrounded by a bunch of people where all of his other beliefs are just considered normal. Like the neoliberalism, everyone's not really, people around him aren't really questioning that. They're just like, yeah, it's the way you'll do things, blah, blah, blah. But the Europeanism is his, like his thing. It's like the thing he's like comes in with. Because I remember see, I was watching uh, uh, France 24 and there was a lot of like chat from Macron about like um, getting Europe together and then like in the same sentence, like wanting support from Europeans in the Sahel region, which is like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so wow. that's how you envision this coming together. Yeah, I mean, that's, Interesting. you know, that's the other point, which I was sort of alluding to, but, and again, it's hard to know how seriously to take him, especially mm. because now the, you know, France's presidency uh, of, of, the, of the European Union is going to be extremely politicized, you know, taking over in January, coming up to this election. Macron's going to say a lot of stuff, and frankly, it's hard to separate what's him on the campaign trail 
versus versus what's really to be taken seriously. But he has talking about he's talked about you know strategic autonomy. Does that mean that you know he wants you know France to be a little more independent when foreign policy sort of reviving this 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 Gaullist yes. you know sort of ideology? We saw that expressed with the the whole submarine debacle with the United States. Um, but again, you know. It's hard to know what about that. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah, when you're in France, you can't forget about that because that was a whole yeah. that was a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, okay, you know, I, uh, critical support for that because it will just end up in either Macron uh, destroying NATO by getting France out of it, or assassinated by the CIA. So <laughs> for attempting to do so, um, so yeah. you know, it seems like a win win for us. Um, yeah, leftists in 2040 being like the U.S. <laughs> took out socialist leader. Macron. Macron. <laughs> God damn it. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's actually relevant to like. I want to get into the other candidates, and I felt just personally researching everything like I couldn't. Things seem to be different, and so the like general question I have for you is like, what's happened in Macron's France? Like, how have, it seems like. Things have gotten, as an American, to me, a little more familiar (laughs) since 2017, going to 2020. Um, And I know you uh, had a piece in the New York Times, actually, about the culture wars in France and even like the idea of culture wars. So like what what has happened and and, like what is the the what is this brave new world (laughs) or this this new political uh, climate or at least political discourse going on? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's interesting. you know, if you look at like the the news cycle here uh, in France, what's what's pretty striking is that you have a news cycle uh, that's that's really driven by, uh, in my mind, the the right wing uh, with sort of themes that are make me think, you know, of 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 what we talk about in in, in the United States, or at least what the American right talks about, which is to say, you know, this whole. S- just kind of collection of, uh, uh, of of culture war issues that didn't really have much of a place in, in, in France before, but are now um, debated on you know on the talk shows, talked about by members of of the of the cabinet, um, and and occupying a lot of political space. So to to be really concrete here, uh, you know one of the things that uh, just to give an example of some of these culture war issues, France has been obsessed, and I mean really obsessed, with this idea of uh, cancel culture, right? Uh, which we're also so so utterly, <laughs> utterly sick of hearing. I'm not, I wish I was, you know, kidding, but but this is like this is what what the media discourse is here. So, you know, they're obsessed. I was like, like, what would what would French Louis C.K. be called? Would be Louis C.K. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, obsession with with cancel culture, with wokeness. There was a really good piece mm-hmm. recently uh, in the Nation uh, by James McCauley, sort of unpacking this war on wokeness in France. Uh, uh, you know, and, and wokeness, it, it sort of helps, uh, you know, reactionaries and establishment politicians in France feel good about their French identity because they tend to oppose, you know, the, the universal republic, which doesn't see any difference in people's identities, their race, it's colorblind, it doesn't care if you're gay, yeah. straight or whatever, versus these sort of like identitarian people who are obsessed with with difference and pointing out difference and tearing people apart and not, and making us watch all their TV shows that are disconnected from, from reality and their, you know, their music, whatever. And, uh, I know this sounds silly, but like, this is like, like it's it's the same uh, shit in Germany. Yeah. Yeah. Like again, again, Europe, Europe, Europe's (laughs) best friends. Yeah. 
it, it takes up a lot of space and you have, you know, a lot of battles about this. You have battles about, about writing, inclu- what's known as inclusive writing in France, basically uh, the, the practice of making language more gender neutral, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, which, which yeah, isn't yeah. so evident in, 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 in France being in French, in France, uh, with French being a romance language. Um, you know, so there is this, you know, debate about, about, uh, having a new, a new pronoun and, you know, even Brigitte Macron, mm-hmm. the, the, the first lady, you know, jumped in and said she was against it. Um, there's an obsession yeah. about, about hunters, hunting rights. It's like, and, and you're sort of like, what are we, what are we talking about here? We're in a, yeah, I feel every, every listener in Germany is just like nodding their heads. So <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Sounds familiar. Like I thought yeah. it'd be easier. They only have two grammatical genders. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, I just, I have a, I have a, 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 the culture war thing is, is probably one of the most like, you know, at home home ones. The one that I, at least this is just from, you know, me seeing it kind of out, like a similar thing that happened in Germany, but that didn't have any political clout whatsoever last year during the election has been COVID. And France is, I think the exact opposite where you have candidates who have making that they're, they're like, like. I mean, maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but I do think that then while Macron was sitting pretty for, you know, the first two years, Yelovis came in, kind of dealt with it, um, wasn't, you know, you know, isn't popular, obviously, amongst the working class. But COVID, at least from what I've seen, has been that like one issue that then France has not, that Macron's government, at least, has not been able to shake off. And has kind of like combined with the culture war thing, combined with the idea that then like, Whatever Macron's doing is like authoritarianism. The France is one of the first countries to do a vaccine mandate for, uh, you know, government for, I think, just public service workers. But I could be wrong. Um, And it really um, I forget his name, who is one of the presidential candidates who became the poster boy for the um, covid marches. But you'd have these like weekly covid marches that would just go all throughout Paris of, you know, tens of thousands of people and Germany like. That didn't become an issue. There was no, like, the AFD didn't take up COVID very well. Well, this could be yeah. actually a thing that possibly this, could. The CDU was punished, but they were punished for, like, the floods yeah, in West exactly. Germany rather than COVID. So, like, there's, there's, um, like, what is, uh, how, how does, I guess, like, that fit into the whole, like, scheme of things? Is that at least because the thing, like, you know, me being the, the dumbest person on here about France, that's kind of the one that at least that I've, uh, I've seen whenever like covering France and whatnot. That's just the most eye opening to me of that. It is like kind of a stark difference between other countries in Europe where it is like there's a lot more anger, I think, behind COVID in France yeah. than there are in other countries. Every prediction at the beginning, like at, towards the end of 2020, beginning of 2021 was like any future election, like COVID's going to be this big thing. And then like every election came and went and there was like. Not, Not really. really. Yeah. No, yeah. Like the Netherlands didn't make a, a huge impression either, and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I think I think if if the election, you know, uh, were would have happened just you know a few months at the be- at the beginning of after the beginning of the COVID crisis, maybe it would have had more of an impact because there was a, a period where there, you know, and there still is to some extent a lot of criticism of the government's handling of the pandemic, um, just outright you know falsehoods about about not needing to wear masks about not having uh, masks, about about the, the situation in the hospitals being underfunded. Um, so there's a lot of criticism about that. Um, and I'm not sure if that's what you're referring to, but there has, there has been a lot of criticism. But I think, you know, by and large, uh, you know, the, the, the government's health pass, you know, which, which, you know, did spark a lot of opposition and including people on the left, um, including many people on the left, uh, you know, that, that policy in itself has 
has proven effective, at least in its immediate goal of, of, of stopping circulation of, of the virus. So I guess now, you know, things are again, Oh, okay. Yeah. Are, are I mean, catastrophic, I, but <laughs> yeah, like, um, so I just got very abruptly reminded of the fact that like in Germany, we had the term woke haram in the whole anti-woke thing. That's so cool. That is, that is the best one of those horrible names. I feel like it should be more popular. It's so stupid. Yeah. If you want to get into like the right wing grift, uh, a columnist complaining thing, I'm just giving you woke haram for free. Well, in, in, take- <laughs> in, in France, in France, there was, as maybe you're aware of, there was this term is Islamo gauchist. Yes. Islamo, yes. Islamo leftist. Yeah, uh, that's just like sounds cool. Sounds- <laughs> I I remember seeing that for the first time. I think it was when I found out about um, uh, Bernardo knows like whole hiring of that like uh, ex French Foreign Legion to spy on media oh, parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, La Squall, the shark. Uh, if I remember name, if I remember correctly, um, great story, absolutely hilarious. But he was like constantly writing about like Islamo leftist, Islamo leftist, and I was just like. Uh, I just feel like the Cold War mm. and post 9-11 just like, oh, I just had a nice little baby. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's what we call a twofer in the biz. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, I want to talk more about the culture wars, but I know we're going to get into it with the next two candidates. Yeah. So uh, dun, we, dun, we might dun, as well dun, get into dun, it. Dun, um, dun, I know we're teasing everyone. We won't be talking about uh, Timothy Chalamet going through the aging face app. Uh, <laughs> we will start with Marine Le Pen, um, who I guess most listeners of... Uh, will remember from 2017, the right wing candidate against Macron. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much to talk about that we can't hear. So I'll just start. I'll just put this question to you, Cole. Part of Marine Le Pen's uh, mission, as I understand it, was softening um, this like party with roots in fascist movements of the 70s. Um, to what extent has that been successful? And how has that changed or not changed from 2017 to 2020? Like what's, what's their, how how did they recover from 2017? What's their game plan for 2020? Yeah, the, um, I mean, I, I think they've been somewhat successful in terms of their PR operation of, of sort of detoxifying the, the brand of the national rally, especially now. And we'll mention it. I'm, I'm sure later that you have a candidate even further right than, <laughs> yeah. than Marine Le Pen. So that helps make you seem more mainstream. Um, no, but I think they've been, you know, it's called de-demonization here. And, and they've, uh, you know, been very careful about, um, oh, I should say relatively careful about the way that they speak so that they can, you know, to use an American term, have, you know, a very dog whistling kind of approach mm. to talking about racism, talking about race and, and foreigners um, uh, and, and the kind of that the old time religion that, you know, their 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 supporters understand uh, when they can make you know oblique references to, it. Um, right. But um, you know, that being said, the national rally hasn't really been able to have much electoral success. They haven't had much electoral success since 2017. Um, you might have thought at that moment that okay, well, you know, after this great performance, the best performance ever of the national rally in, in the presidential election. Um, you know, maybe that that was going to translate into, uh, if not legislative success because of the low turnout mm-hmm. and the particularities of the French system, then you would say maybe at least 
in uh, the regional elections or in the local yes. or, or in the local elections. The, the I'm I'm sorry, Cole. I am on, I'm going to announce it on now. I'm on mic on this podcast. Last time we talked about France being like they're going to win PACA, they're going to win it, and then now here I am like a fucking chump. <laughs> they did not win that well, region. Yeah, I was I was down there re- reporting on that and, and and following them, and that was the feeling was that they uh, you know they were going to win that, um, but we can get to, get. So it is interesting to, to kind of think about why they didn't do well in the regional elections. They did well in the European elections. Um, but as we know, those have limited, uh, significance, but yeah, they, they, you know, they, they haven't really been able to expand this base of, of local officials. The one big town that they won was, was the city of Perpignan, uh, in sort of vaguely in the, in the Southwest, but on the, on the Mediterranean, um, in a very, uh, sort of poor part of, uh, of, of, of France. Um, that's where they, they tend to perform well in, in sort of poorer cities appealing to, um, you know, this mix of, of some working class voters, but also a lot of retirees and, and middle class uh, um, people seeing, you know, seeing the, the, the inequalities around them, seeing foreigners arrive, uh, et cetera. So, so, so they, they, they did win this, this city of, uh, of Tarpignan, but other than that, it was pretty disappointing on the local level and the regional elections. You know, they didn't, they didn't win um, a single region. They were expected to, to, to really actually win two regions, really, um, Paca in the south of France, uh, an enormously influential, uh, important region, which really includes everything from uh, Marseille and Nice uh, all the way up mm. to sort of like small, you know, small towns in the you know foothills of of the Alps and, and Avignon as well. Um, they didn't win that. They didn't win uh, the region of the the, the north, Haute uh, France. Uh, they were expected to to win there and maybe even compete in a, in a third region. They didn't win anything. And what's interesting, actually, yeah. when you think about um, their uh, sort of attempts to soften their image, what's interesting is that. Um, and again, I'm not trying to make value judgments here because obviously, I you know. I'm uh, uh, not. I have no sympathy for for the national rally, but but what, what's what's interesting is just just to clarify with you guys here. I have no sympathy <laughs> for the national rally. Um, you know what, what's interesting is that you know because you know the party has sort of softened their their discourse. Uh, you know it didn't. It, it, it it's. I think it's fair to say that in some respects they're sort of becoming another mainstream political party like the others. Part of this you know political establishment in France that. Uh, is just obsessed with getting elected and not doing anything when they're in office. And, um, you know, I think a lot of voters, you know, uh, you know, may have, may have had that impression. And so you have their base that turns out for these elections, but in the end, if you're a party like everyone else, then, you know, uh, uh, you don't have that sort of like anti, you know, establishment aura that you used to have. And that yeah. I think also partly explains why we're seeing a candidate, that's even more to the right, to the right. of, uh, yeah. of Marine Le Pen, yeah. who's yeah. sort of recapturing that, um, you know, that that early far right, uh, you know, good old racist xenophobia that that the National Front has worked so hard to sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, hide. Yeah, I think in the sense too with France, it's probably one of the most interesting aspects of that. Yeah, like they've become establishment to a degree because. France's party just like have been reshuffling for the past like 20 years or so. And you can come in a lot easier than in a situation like that. Be whatever populist, right? Whatever you'd call them back in 2017, you know, 2016, 2017 and make your mark. And 
at the same time sell out pretty quickly. And I think that then uh, our our next you know candidate who comes up is is kind of the one. I don't know. Like I the, I guess the like the bigger question for me at the end of it is that like there will be a lot of people who will ditch Zemmour and just vote Le Pen that could then end up probably tilting the election in her favor at the end of the day. Like, am I right? Like, I feel that that's very much while like the further right's ridiculous and they are pretty dangerous and pretty violent and, and extreme. Um, there is like a very little chance that he will actually win. And that then through then, like, I don't think that they're just not going to vote, you know, like there is still like Le Pen, I think while she is, and her party is 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 maybe not doing well on you know the local stage. Like France is first off much more centralized. The presidency in France matters a lot more than a um, leadership in other countries. So like maybe this is like you know it's not even maybe it's not even like calculated in any way. But this will end up benefiting her and her party at the end of the day. Like yeah, they may not control anything, but she could very easily end up sit be sitting pretty, giving Macron a run for her money. At the sense of that, there's so like the 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 political situation in France is so like just split continuously, and continuously, and continuously. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, yeah, we we don't even know if she's going to be able to make it to the to the second round either. True, there's true. Because she's a like lot of she's lines. like neck and neck with with Zemmour right now, or has been neck and neck with him. But is that true? I mean, I thought that Macron, Team Macron, wants a rematch, and they feel like yeah. they can win easily. No, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, without well, with, that's true, without getting into, into too much uh, just like pure pure punditry, although I'm, I'm happy yeah. I'm happy to do that also. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think like the you know the polls show at this point that that Macron would beat Le Pen pretty handedly, like anywhere from I don't know, I think I saw one today that was even like eighteen percent to to ten yeah. percent, which I guess isn't that much, but like you know fifteen percent something like that. Um, and I think, you know, it's fair to say Macron would, would pretty, at this stage right now, if you had an election and there was a second round, Macron would beat Le Pen, Macron would beat Zemmour as well. Um, you know, the, the biggest threat, I think, for, for Macron um, would comes from the quote-unquote uh, mainstream right, the, yeah. the, the center right. It's great, the different varieties of right, isn't it? So We love it. It's yeah. enjoyable talking you know, French politics. The, it, it's, you know. it's, it's pretty common on this podcast uh, ever since, I, I don't know when this started, but just like using these, this term of like conventional right wing. Once upon a time, this country had two parties and now that's all gone to shit. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even like saying moderate right. They're not even, they're just, they're just a straight out right wing party that's like now, oh, uh, you know, going, going far right even. Absolutely, yeah. but like the yeah. the story that's old as time is just like you know in in the nineties and yeah. beforehand there was two mainstream parties that would just switch swap places one center left one center right supposedly and I don't know since twenty sixteen two thousand and eight whatever all those establishment parties have just like been rejected in one form or another yeah because like the fucking socialist party is pulling at five percent like their candidate like it's it's ridiculous well I feel like there's no a better time to finally introduce Eric Zamor, the right wing candidate who um yeah, I don't know. Can you can you summarize him for our I, for, for we our should explain that reference much? to that you made earlier that like so oh. <laughs> supposedly uh, some French people you know think that like no our friend okay, our, our yeah. friend Jean who's been on the podcast a few yeah. times told yeah. us we were talking about Timothy Chalamet once and he's like yeah in France no one's like oh he's so cute because he looks like this right wing guy on TV <laughs> what and then when I saw Zamora I was like oh that's yeah. him <laughs> yeah he he looks like yeah he, he he blew up he's going international <laughs> um so 
All right, I'll start. With, Yo, Eric Zamora, I, my I, understanding. I, I, I love Zamora. Dune. <laughs> He's a regular panelist on the French version of Fox News and writes a lot of books and is kind of like the heir of this like Paris intellectual who talks about the decline of France, the feminization of France, um, the great replacement and how he's like, basically he has like a, a network of um, grassroots is not the right word, but outside of a traditional party structure supporters who want to propel him yeah. into the presidency, partly as like, you know, the real right wing option mm-hmm. now that Le Pen has sold out or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, what am I missing there? <laughs> I, I just want to say, I, I love the, I love the laundry list because some people at home might've been shocked with the whole like great replacement thing, but like, I'm pretty sure it was like a French author who came up with that myth, like the whole yeah. Eurabia yeah. thing. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, yeah, but like, I love the feminization of France. I, I'm looking forward to hearing that theory. I'm looking forward to like a right wing or a Canadian like right wing pundit on YouTube explain that to me one day. Uh, uh, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, he has a whole book uh, about that, right? It's called the, the First Sex, right? If I'm not mistaken. Uh, okay, all right. Homework for me. But yeah, <laughs> Eric Zimler. He does. That needs to, that needs to be uh, fact-checked. Yeah, I'm having reference. some doubts right now, but I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, so uh, you know, he was sort of this uh, journalist, uh, polemist, you know, yeah, journalist, right-wing, right-wing journalist, fairly mainstream, very well, you know, uh, a lot of good connections across Paris, really across Paris, only in Paris. All the all the media elites knew him. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, what really, and I was having a debate about this, you know, recently, actually. Uh, uh, I don't I don't get into to Twitter discussions like I used to do. Um, so I really I try to avoid them. But someone, um, you know, it was was uh, taking issue with the fact that I said that um, you know, Zimmer is not really an, an intellectual. He's, he's sort of like playing an intellectual on, on television because he's had so much success as a TV pundit. And they were saying, well, you know, but, but, but what about his whole career? You know, he was covering politics, uh, writing for the Figaro. And it's true, you know, he was, uh, he was doing more of what we would say, like real journalism at a certain point in his career and writing these, these kind of, these, these insane books. But before then he was, he was, you know, doing, doing journalism, but I think you don't really get Zemmour, uh, you know, without the TV personality that is constructed, um, you know, over the last, uh, uh, really over the last uh, decade, uh, starting with uh, this uh, TV show on on uh, uh, on uh, France 2, the one of the main the main public TV channel, uh, in which Zemmour was on this, you know, panelist on this panel of people where they would have celebrities, politicians, and he would sort of like provoke people and, and be sort of right wing, but still acceptable. He was known to be right wing, um, mm. but um, built an audience that way, <clears throat> kind of continued moving more and more to the right. Um, he since then has been convicted multiple times of, uh, of hate speech, inciting hatred uh, against uh, Muslims as well. Um, you know, this sort of like provocateur polemicist who then, as you're referencing, has written books about basically France's decline. And then the final sort of evolution before him becoming a candidate was Zemmour um, was the star panelist on, on the C, on C News um, on a TV show, on a TV show that basically he was being interviewed, but it was essentially the, the Eric Zemmour show where, you know, you have softball questions just sort of, you know, thrown to you. Yeah. And it was just let him like, let him rip, you know, go off on, I don't know the the great replacement without without saying it explicitly, um, 
you know, is Muslims that don't respect uh, French laïcité. Uh, I don't the, the fact that uh, Green Party mayors want to ban foie gras. Um, the fact that people don't respect the French language, whatever, you know, whatever, but this was just yeah. him sort yeah. of, these are all cool things. <laughs> like I don't see. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's, yeah. Destroy that's, France. That's destroy France. France. Yes. That, that, that is amazing to me. Maybe my co-host can think of an example, but um, especially cause I've seen people try to compare him to Ameri- American, like Tucker Carlson or something, but the format is so different because the famous well-known Americans, whether it's like, Glenn Beck or Tucker Carlson, they're the they're the ones sitting there and talking into the 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 camera. Let me finish. He's what's his name from Bild? Yeah, well, it's a German thing because instead it's like the star panelists. So like, there's something about that where instead of like focusing on this one person all the time, you it's honestly like fit for Twitter and stuff because there's always people to dunk on. Like they're they have to exist in this ecosystem of these like softballs like lobbed up to him where you can just like throw it to your guy. It's it's honestly like Skip Bayless or Stephen A. Smith or somebody. That's yeah, yeah. the only no, American it's, comparison. It's, it's it's really interesting. You think actually? I'm sure there's. Someone could probably write something fascinating about this, but the, just the format of having Zemmour not not sort of sitting behind a desk looking into a camera and preaching, you know, but actually like pretend engaged in conversation. We're just having a interesting conversation here, and and you know, letting him just just yeah. you know just go off, and that that was sort of what propelled Zemmour into this even more well known figure. And so for me, he's inseparable from this sort of TV pundit character that he's been playing, and then you know, he decided he could run for president. Here we are. No, it's a media thing that I think has been, uh, um, fucking taking advantage for a lot. I know a lot of people talk about with podcasts usually, what's the term they always use with the podcast, the like fake social parasocial relationship thing. But like that exists on TV and it has done for a long time. I always think of like, uh, um, I remember watching a bunch of Japanese reality TV shows and they always cut to these like panels of B-list celebrities who would then <laughs> comment on the stuff that you just watched of the like main meat and potatoes of the reality TV show. And like yeah. someone explained to me that exists for people who are watching the TV show alone to make it feel like they're watching it with friends. And this sounds like a similar thing of like, yeah, it's it's not going to work if it's just more talking to a camera. Right, you right, have to right. have someone who's like the pseudo viewer having the conversation with him. Right. Um, so is he from Bills? <laughs> yeah, there is. Um, I forget what it, what his name is, but the best example that I can think of, again, because there is a good portion of our listenership who is in Germany. Mm. Well, like um, it's, it's not surprising. Just while, while you look for that, it's not surprising that it's a European format because even in Germany, like super popular are the like roundtable discussion shows, yeah, like yeah. Anavis, and so like like, that, yeah. like you know you get maybe someone from each party or or whatever the BBC case may question be. time as well. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. then this is like a logical extension of like what if it was rigged so just your favorite was just always winning and beating down on all the others. Yeah. But yeah. there's a, um, it's a it's a breaking of the format a little bit though because a lot of those panel shows exist to drive the conversation to the right. Like you have some, like all the worst right wing psychopaths are in like media or journalism. They're not usually in politics, but they exist to drive the politicians to the right to normalize this language. And like Zemmour has broken through the matrix and was like, no, you're not meant to run. You're meant to you're meant to just stay and guide the conversation. Yeah. So there's um Paul uh, Paul uh, 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 Ronsheimer is his name and he's the one for if people people see his picture just appear on Twitter like internationally uh, like all the time because he's so ridiculous where he interviewed Olaf Scholz wearing a um, like an Indian chieftain thing on his yes. head and he um, ate a steak in front of Annalena Baerbock the leader of the, the, leader of the Green Party with a toy SUV yeah. as well so like- like that would be like the best comparison of that person exists in someone who will never run for politics in Germany, which I'm pretty happy for. 
but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Faces. Well, no, cause, cause, and like the thing of it is that he really like like I, I mean I don't know what like Zamora. The thing I think that's kind of the interesting thing about it is that then he's perceived as like an intellectual to some regard. Maybe not by not the brightest people, but there is like a level of like ridiculous like bullshit thing that I think that where um this Parodheimer guy can kind of exist of like, this is what you think. Like you like, you know, yeah. like as the, uh, you know, the culture war thing, this and that and that. And that's probably like the only difference I would say. But, but yeah, these, these, these characters are, um, I think in Europe probably far more common than they are in the U S the like explosion of the right is like, like in this traditional sense is a newer phenomenon to Americans. Yeah. That's just, I mean, we can, we don't have to go comparing. No, no I want to get into some of the Zamor <laughs> yeah. stuff specifically. Uh, I actually, um, Cole, I, I was thinking of a line. I'm going to paraphrase it from your article about the culture wars where you say they're distinctly French in content, but American in form. And that's how I think about Zamor a lot. Just if, if I could start with the form side of things, like reading about C news and specifically, I forget the billionaire's name who runs it, what but like, I? it seems like a lot. Um, yeah, a lot of Zamor is like, he's like exploded since 2017 yeah. in terms of like, just like, what is, what's going on with all that? Like that, like structural side of things. Like how is he getting in front of everyone's eyes? Like way more than in 2017. Yeah, no, I mean, th this is sort of what we're, you know, it's such a complicated issue that you could, you know, talk, spend a lot of time talking about, but you know, the, the, there is this sort of just shift in the, in the media political discourse and they're, and they're very intertwined. Um, you know, you know, the question we're asking is why is the far right so popular? That's the main, that's really the question that we're trying to get at. Why does, how is Zimbabwe having so much success? Uh, why is the far right absolutely dominating the, the discourse? Uh, I mean, the first thing, you know, sometimes I think people on the left have trouble admitting this because um, they're always looking for explanations. Um, I think, you know, it needs to be said that if you look at the 2017 election results, Marine Le Pen had a very high score. There is a real base of, uh, support for the far right, including uh, among working class people in France, people will say, oh, people will say, oh, but, but, um, you know, a, a lot of working people, working class people don't vote. That's true also. Uh, but what matters in politics is when you vote, uh, ultimately, um, and there is a real base of support uh, that, that, that exists. I don't want to deny that. So I think it's just important to say you have a real base that this is not just something that came out of nowhere since 2017. It's been building for years the, the, the far right's been normalized, normalized, gaining in popularity. And so that was something we had before then. Um, I think the second factor and sort of what you're getting at, um, um, you know, and they're intertwined, but the, the, this shift in the media discourse that's sort of tapping into that far right base, playing off of it um, for, for clicks, for clips that get shared on, um, online, for viewers, uh, just to be provocative, to get stuff in, 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 the, in the news cycle. Um, and these personalities that are able to tap into this and, and use it to get, to get viewers. And that's, that's so, so similar to, to, to Fox News, where you, uh, you, know, you have these debates where you have someone say something completely outlandish and you just immediately have that Chiron at the bottom of the screen that's ready to put it, you know, that, that insane saying, you know, that insane quote, just so you can see it. That's something you see on C News. You'll have someone come in, you know, come on and say, uh, you know, I don't know, like inclusive writing is like contributing to the feminization of France, you know, and it's like boom, and you got you got that on the Chiron, right. you know, and you, and you 
when you have the, it makes me honest. I have, I, I it makes me want to use the most inclusive writing possible right now. When I, when I see this, data. <laughs> I just want to, I just want to force them France. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're just slipping France. But, but so, uh, so you have this, you have this media sort of ecosystem that's closely tied to the far right politicians and their supporters that realizing there's a big audience for this, um, a media that, that, that's realizing you can tap into this for, for, for viewers and clicks. And then you also have, uh, I don't want to exaggerate it, but you know, it's fair to say you have a, a government too, that has decided for political reasons that it makes sense to legitimize not everything, but a certain number of the, of the things the far right uh, is saying that's, that's what Macron has done, you know, yes. uh, introducing French, political observers to the concept of triangulation in the U S where you're, you know, trying to do everything at once, you know, you, you, you can keep the sort of centrist happy. Um, maybe say you want, you know, you support, uh, uh, abortion rights, you know, extending, uh, uh enhancing abortion rights, what's what the government's doing right now. But, but at the same time, uh, saying having, you know, your cabinet members go out on, on, on television and say that there's an Islamo leftist, uh, you know, contagion in the university system that needs to be that needs to be fought. Um, trying to pass laws to uh, to uh, you know to, to make it illegal to to film police officers during during protests. Um, something that fortunately yeah. uh, fortunately was uh, rejected by the the Constitutional Council, at least that specific measure of the, of the security bill. Um, mm. You know, the the, the separatist uh, bill as well. So the government has decided it's in their interest to. To sort of play up the the far right because uh, um, you know it's or at least to talk about certain issues that that were used to be reserved to the far right because it it helps them politically it makes the left puts the left the left in a defensive position um, and it sort of at least in their view uh, sort of bolsters this this main divide that they're trying to build up in France between it's either you're on our side the Macronists that we're we're progressive we like Europe. We believe in internationalism, in theory, cosmopolitanism, and then you know the <clears throat> on the other side of that divide is you know the the for the and their Macronist reading the you know nationalists uh, who are just inward looking and um, you know uh, don't 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 have much of a uh, you know are, are, aren't optimistic about the about the, the future of the country and so Macron's policy has, has has been you know driving towards enhancing this divide the same way that that, that the far right. Um, you know, likes having this, uh, likes having this divide. So I don't know, I'm saying a lot of things, but I think those are, those are all different elements to, to, to keep in mind there. Um, it's, but yeah, go ahead. It does remind me of uh, one clip from a, a French debate that went viral. I think it was from the regional elections, but uh, uh, someone from, I believe it was Republic on March, uh, accusing Le Pen on stage of being too soft yeah, on Muslims. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was uh, the, the interior minister we talked yeah, about before, minister, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that was, uh, you know, uh, I, no, I guess it, it was slightly taken out of context, but yeah, ultimately he did say that. You know, he said, yeah, he said that. He, he, you know, he then claimed that. Oh, his supporters claimed it was. Oh, he was sort of mocking her because he just, he's not saying that he believed that he's mocking her. Still, you know, uh, he mm-hmm. he said it, and uh, and Darmanin, I mean, the clip got sh- yeah, the clip got shared mostly because of her face. I think her reaction to it was just yeah. priceless. Yeah, but uh, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just want to focus on the the Bolloré, if I'm saying his name right, the billionaire who owns CNews uh, for a second, because um, again, as I understand it, he kind of went there was a there was a strike at Italy the the channel, and then he kind of used this and other machinations to like gut and 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 turn the company into 
yeah, I don't know, pursue these, uh, I guess there were strong headwinds for, uh, <laughs> for, for this kind of channel. And, um, as I understand it, um, the channel that had been losing a lot of money is, I don't know, uh, going in the other direction. Mm. Um, he's bought up other media properties. I think, um, yeah. Europe one is the name of the radio. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, there's a reason he gets called like a Rupert Murdoch figure and Eric Zamora is like the number one talent on the, on the channel. Right. Although now he's no longer, uh, oh, right, on, right, right, on right. the channel because he's running, he's running for president. Um, but even before, as I understand it, uh, before he was officially running, yeah, exactly. uh, there was a court order to take him off because he was effectively, I don't, I, I maybe, you know, the legal language, but he was violating the equal time, equal campaign time yeah. just by being talking about the election, even though he wasn't running it. Yeah. That was a decision from the French, uh, regulator that, that, that regulates TV. Um, and I think radio. that Zamora and his, his supporters kind of use that along with the convictions for, I don't know, uh, Holocaust denial or, or, or whatever it might be. I'm not sure if it's, there's, there's, there's at least, uh, uh, two convictions for racial, uh, hate speech. And then there's right. a third for, uh, anti-Muslim, uh, hate speech. So there's at least okay. three. Anyway, as I understand it, that's all fodder for like, you know, creating this image of fighting the establishment. Or yes. Whatever. Yeah. 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 I, I dealt with some, uh, Zamora supporting reply guys on Twitter. <laughs> no, no, okay, it, well, it's funny. It's funny you say that because um, I think I'm not sure whether this fits under the, the distinctly French content or the American form, but the Zamora figure. Um, I was thinking about this when we were talking about Le Pen because if I'm not mistaken, like Le Pen did want to maybe like professionalize uh, the party a bit. I think that was part of her mission, and then Zamora is coming in with a completely decentralized structure uh, with basically French Pepe's online. Um, like, <laughs> like yeah. uh, all of that kind of decentralized network that yeah. will hopefully National that rally. has been trying to propel him. Yeah. I think it was like friends of Zamora that are saying like, we're trying to get him to run for president. Na- National rally was like a, a long a, time now, an actual structure. And like, whenever you looked at like members of, Le, of the Le Pen family and like where they met their spouse, it was always at like, party functions basically like dinners or get-togethers or youth party meetings that kind of thing which was creepy uh um, <laughs> seemed very explicitly like grooming but um yeah. no, you're right like zamor is zamor I, I don't even think he has a party name does he need oh. one? Oh, he does oh, does he yeah he oh. has a, he has his his party name has just been unveiled which is a recon- oh, okay. recon- you like it kieran Reconquête, which is a reference to like the, I guess in, in Spanish, right? The, the Reconquista, the re, Reconquest. Oh, no. That's, that's literally his party name, Kieran. No. Reconquest. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I had that filed under the, the distinctly French uh, section of, uh, of of my notes on some more. <laughs> God damn it. But yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's interesting when you think about like, uh, I'm sorry to do the comparison because everyone's doing it these days, but like with Trump, you know, when you think about the form that the sort of like proto-fascist leader is going to take in the U.S., um, you know, you know, it makes sense for it to be this, you know, this guy p- pretending to be a successful businessman, which is like the distillation of just perfect, you know, American, American essence mm. in France. You know, we have a guy pretending to be like a, a brave, courageous, philosopher. intellectual philosopher who says yeah. what nobody else is thinking. Mm-hmm. Hell um, yeah. I love, I love, yeah. Just like, you know, just old pasty men. Just, well, you know. That begs the question: What the German version is? Just like I used to run an Aldi sued. And well, <laughs> no, I mean we can we can flesh this out because I don't know. I was thinking, uh, Cole, when you were talking earlier about this intellectual debate, I was thinking, yeah, Eric Zemmour is the Parisian intellectual. I mean that as an insult to 
the, yeah, the public yeah, intellectual, yeah, not yeah, a compliment absolutely. to Zamora. Yeah. And it, it does make sense that like, it is the most like degrade, like <laughs> degraded, um, embarrassing version of this like national, you know, some yeah. it's like national pride. It's like, yeah, it, it will have to be even more embarrassing than Bernard Henri Levy. Like oh, we're not there yet. It might, about to say. Zamora might not be enough too. It might be, you know, it might go further, but it, it tracks completely at least that Trump would be businessman Zamora. Paris intellectual or whatever. Ugh, yeah. And as I understand it, that and the fact that he is, um, I mean, it's people I've, I've, I've read quotes being like, yeah, Le Pen is not enough. Like Le Pen doesn't capture that spirit in the way Zamora does. <laughs> well, you know, that there's goes on TV. There's this famous quote. Uh, it's more of like a saying, I guess that gets thrown around, thrown around a lot in French politics, which is people used to say this about the right wing when they would try to imitate the national, the national front at that time. So I think it was what Jean-Marie Le Pen said to Sarkozy during the 2007 debate, because Sarkozy's strategy was to tack right and to tap into the far right face. Um, and, uh, you know, Jean-Marie Le Pen at that point in the debate, I think in 2007, uh, said, well, you know, voters always preferred the original to the, to the copy. And so that's a line that people say, you know, a lot talking about attempts to imitate the, the national front, meaning it's always going to backfire because you can do whatever you want, but in the end, at the end of the day, the national front, you know, is going to, yeah. it's going to win the battle of ideas. In, in, in some ways, Zemmour is applying that logic, you know, against the, against the national front. Uh, which is to say, you know, he's voters prefer the original spirit of the national rally, which is to say Zemmour. Zemmour is the one who is the real national rally. He's the one, you know, who's who has that spirit. Whereas now, you know, Marine Le Pen is sort of like a uh, this is like a watered down version of it. You don't get that same fiery, you know, feeling you get by going to like, you know, the I don't know, the the, the, the church service and having the, you know, the preacher get up and, you know, do all the hits for you. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I was reading in, I think it was in Le Monde, that Jean-Marie Le Pen, the, the Marie Le Pen's father, mm. uh, co-founder of the party, who was uh, kicked out of the party a couple years ago for, Bias yeah, as part of this yeah. general, uh, I forget the word you use, but the softening. The de-demonization. De yeah, yeah. yeah. uh, Jean-Marie Le Pen said he would vote for Zamor over his daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's right. <laughs> My the, daughter uh, sucks. <laughs> the, the exact quote, uh, okay, this is translated, but he gave this quote uh, talking about um, Zamora. The only difference between Eric and me is that he is Jewish. So it's difficult to call him a Nazi or a fascist. That gives him greater freedom. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, like, of course, Jean Marie's going to talk about people's like religion and ethnicity. Like, he's, I don't know, playing like an RPG Elder Scrolls uh, no, kind of game. But like, he's immune to calls I, of being called a Nazi. As I understand, <laughs> that was it, my weakness. Most of his supporters say the same thing. They're like, it's great. We got to, you know, not yeah. a woman, Parisian yeah. intellectual who's Jewish. Like that, uh, that, that seems to be a big selling point for a lot of the, uh, which also reminds me a lot of like the alt-right in the U S which is like, Oh, checkmate. You know, he came back. What if a black woman said this instead? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that's always been, and I, I've seen that exact same defense of Zamora before. Like how can he be anti-Semitic? He's Jewish and things mm -hmm. like that. Even though he's like doing stuff that could count as anti-Semitic well, yeah. just by like, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's also, to, to sorry again to harp on the, the comparison with the U.S., but you think about the alt-right, um, and, you know, I, I don't know, if I think about, like, the, the, the Trump campaign in 2016, like, the famous line about, about Bannon, which I'm seeing circulate here in France because people are, are tapping into it, but, you know, the, the Bannon strategy of just, you know, flood flood the zone with with shit, basically, that's, that's, that's you know, the far right in France. Mm -hmm. It's like, Zemmour doesn't have to talk about COVID, he doesn't have to talk about the, his plans for the economy, he doesn't have to talk about 
the minimum wage or workers, whatever. All he has to do is talk about um, uh, uh, identity, about about uh, about uh, environmentalists that want to that want to attack hunters' rights, the people that want to take away your foie gras. Uh, he can talk about the the woke culture warriors. It's just this constant barrage of bullshit, and then. And then here we are talking about it, you know, we're talking about yeah. it for, in a, in a, for, for the right reasons, but this is what the French media spends their days, you know, talking about. And we're, st- it's, we're in this sort of like infernal cycle. And that's, that's, that's sort of how political discourse is in France today. To linger on it for just a little bit longer, uh, <laughs> because that, some of our listeners probably <laughs> yeah. saw the, uh, he had his first official rally a few days ago, um, which is where, where a bunch of anti-racist protesters were, uh, yeah, well, a fight broke out them. basically. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I have a few just um, a few hits from that. Um, some quotes. Some questions that that were raised for me. If anyone's curious, I'll put it. There was something in Jackman a couple of days ago right. um, uh, about it. One is this. Uh, they have a white baseball cap. That's like the their version of the of, of MAGA. Um, I can't speak French, but uh, do, do you know what I'm referring to? Yeah, I saw. Uh, I, I, it's like what the, it's what does it say? Like bon voyant or something like that? Like bon, yeah. bon voyant. I mean, I don't think it's th- that means that's like a again. So that's like a we'll see. What does that mean? Like, how is that? A, <laughs> it's how like, is oh, that it's a, like uh, let's we're gonna let's see about that. Like let's see. <laughs> that seems very again like <laughs> well. Okay, I'll go on to the next one. Um, I'm, just, I'm, more, I'm sorry. It makes me think about that. Uh, what's that line yeah. from? Uh, Oh God! That, sorry, the actor from. Uh, never mind. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. This this should clarify because that that seems to be again. We're tapping into what what does French, <laughs> the new French uh, fascism look like? Um, so more lamented that the subjunctive is no longer taught at primary schools. <laughs> um, yes. At around six p.m. So this is when Zamor actually enters after like a long day of uh, I don't know. Uh, the the speakers before him. Um, first of all, there's this uh, Generation Z that are like yeah. basically these like Zoomer and Millennial foot soldiers yeah. for Zamor. Like, yeah. yeah, basically the alt right. Um, at, at around six, this is directly from the Jackman article. At around six p.m., Zamor entered the convention center, preceded by a montage of images and scenes from the old France that his campaign wants to resuscitate. Portraits of Brigitte Bardot, Voltaire, oh, Maron. Oh, God. And, yes. and clips of Gaullist supporters taking to the streets in 1968, which mm-hmm. seems to me to be the trifecta of yeah. all this bullshit, which is yeah. sexy lady who agrees with us, old French guy, <laughs> literally like sold, like supporters taking to the streets to like beat back the, the striking workers on the left. Bitching about grammar. Uh, yeah. And you add that too, yeah. No, it's, a, that's a, a that's a good a good story that captures. I think you're referring to, to Harrison Settler's piece, which is which is good, yeah. um, a good good way of uh, capturing the, the Zimor phenomenon. Anything else on Zimor we want to hit? Do you want to complain about the the online bullies, Kieran? I know you were getting bullied. I was. Being it bullied. was referred to by the Zimor insiders themselves. I, they were they were they were, they were bullying me because I was making fun of Chiati uh, uh, or Siati, uh, uh, the the mm. person in the Les Republicans, who was basically trying to be another Zamor yeah. by the looks of things. Uh, um, they were very supportive. What was strange is that like uh, a French friend of mine was looking at the like their profiles and like these are Zamor guys. I don't really understand why they're coming to bat for Chiati. I guess they just they just. 
which seems very strange. It's a very strange way of handling like a a, a, a cult of personality like that. I was like, oh, you will accept a substitute uh, as a very um, well. Ciotti said Ciotti said that he would support uh, Zemmour against Macron in the second round uh, election, and and Ciotti was sort of the the, the hard right mm-hmm. turn within the La Républicain, um, the yeah. the quote unquote conventional, but actually just this pure right wing party, um, which yeah. I think ultimately has the best chance against. Uh, against Macron, but, um, yeah. well, before we get to that, I want to torture Kieran for one second longer. Oh, okay, cool, uh, this yeah. is a quote from a political piece on Zamora, um, paraphrasing again, interviews with Zamora's supporters. Sure. Zamora's online supporters, some from the gaming community mm-hmm. can be a significant force said the official working in his They were movement. using gaming words. All right. You don't need many, maybe 150, 200. He said, if they all push the same topic online, it starts trending. So this seems to be the playbook. Um, which you know, is harass you specifically. Yeah, they're just the no, this is the playbook of like jokes on them, how do you, friends. How do you say uh-huh. meme magic in French? That's the question. <laughs> yeah. to meme. But like this is this is no, this is this is fucking SoundCloud rapper bullshit of just buying That's a right, bunch, yes. <laughs> bunch of future. supporters online and claiming you're super popular and get them to to push the links to your track and whatnot. Yeah. Uh okay. What's, what's, what, what's the French gaming scene like? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> Like all of them, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think I think so now, you know, actually, actually, in in 2017, uh, there was a, a popular video game forum that was a big base for Melanchon, um support. Actually, oh, okay. So gamers are doing is, are fighting in the trenches out there. Yeah, I'm sure. it's really a different world over there in France. Keep keep it up. Um, okay, we need a little Co- bit of context. Como se dice Gamergate? Alfonsoish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that you do like three <laughs> languages there. Good job. This is a big, um, I think it, it definitely is a uh, compelling narrative, right? That this like kind of new billion, bankrolled billionaire media star can like tap into whatever this like outside the party establishment and, mm-hmm. and roll to victory. He is debuted now that he's official, officially a candidate. He's kind of in the mix behind Le Pen and possibly also the Republicans what are people saying? Are people expecting him to take off? Is it like this? Oh, will he, won't he? Is it a general pessimism? What's the situation right now? Yeah. I mean, he, he took off, uh, in the early stages of his, uh, campaign, uh, or I guess before he officially declared it was way up in the polls ahead of Le Pen for a brief moment. Now mm-hmm. he's sort of re fallen back a little bit. Um, but still, as you mentioned is, is sort of running, I would say at this point, because of the different polls, you know, neck and neck with both Le Pen and the, the right-wing candidate, Valérie Pécresse, um, all three of them are running between, I don't know, like 13 to 17, 18%. 17 is the highest, um, yeah. You know, and, and Zemmour is a, is a little bit below Le Pen, um, but they're all sort of in the same in the same pack. So, yeah, uh, you know, he has a shot, I guess, in theory, although there's so much that can happen. You know, we're still, uh, what, four months away from from the election. A lot can happen. Um so, you know, it's hard, it's, it's hard to say. We'll at that, you know, are, are Le Pen and Zemmour really both going to be in the race in, in early April if they, if they have a shot of, of qualifying for the second round together? Uh, I don't know. It's hard to say. But, but right now, clearly, you know, he's, he's one of the top candidates, the top four candidates. None of them are on the left. It's Macron, Pécresse, Zemmour, and Le Pen. Um, uh, and that's also, you know, why their issues are dominating the, the political yeah. discourse. Um, you mentioned Pekas. She was just uh, nominated, I believe, a few days ago as of recording. Yeah. Um, what's the what's the story there? I know maybe compared to media attention, they're actually quite high in the polls, you could say. Yeah. Um, they come from, 
Yeah, maybe talk a little bit about like the Republicans as the quote unquote standard center right party and what role they play in all this <clears throat> brave new world. It's of, of yeah, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they had a, their party has sort of been facing uh, existential threat. I think that that's the way that a lot of the activists and leaders who've stayed have, have portrayed things. Um, because on the one hand, you know, coming out of the 2017 election, uh, first time that the right wing is not in the second round of a presidential election in the, in the Fifth Republic. So this really, you know, massive defeat for, for, for the right wing. Um, and on the one hand, you had a lot of the party fleeing to Macron. Uh, the party correctly uh, understood that you have activists that are also being attracted to the national rally slash national front. And so the question is sort of what is the point of having this, uh, uh, you know, right wing party? What, what do we stand for at a time in which we have essentially a, a center right president who's enacting a lot of the pro-business anti-worker reforms that we've been pushing for for years that now they're finally enacting. We're not even the ones doing it. Um, mm. While uh, to our immediate uh, right, we have uh, a party that's tapping into the uh, sort of uh, uh, identity right-wing identity politics issues that, that we've, that we've defended. Um, and so, you know, sort of like what, what's the, what's the, the point of, of, of having this party? And, and, uh, you know, you, you have a lot of questions about that. They did pretty well in the local elections and the regional elections, uh, that were very low turnout. Um, but in the, uh, primary that they just held, uh, you essentially had, um, keeping in mind that broadly, uh, a lot of the centrists that used to be in the party have fled to Macron. That's important to, to, to stress. You know, you look at his interior minister comes from the Republicain, um, the former prime minister, both prime ministers actually. So Edouard Philippe, the former prime minister and the current prime minister Castex, both from the Republicain. So you have those flock, the people flocking to, to Macron. The party has been sort of drifting to, to the right. And you have this uh, sort of clash in the primary between you were mentioning Eric Ciotti, from Nice, super conservative uh, part of the party as well. Um, yeah. uh, nice is, is, you know, a hotbed of, uh, of, of sort of right-wing identitarian politics in France. Uh, so you had Ciotti, who, who uh, had a very good score and uh, made it to the second round against Pécresse, who just inched into the, into the second round. Pécresse, who's a much more, quote-unquote, establishment politician. Pretty, pretty uninspiring. Yeah, she's the head of the... Yeah. Uh, the Ile-de-France region, the Paris region, the president. She used to be in a, in a cabinet under Nicolas Sarkozy. Uh, so a very, a very, she lives in Versailles, a very like establishment, um, you know, bourgeois right-wing politician who understands that in order to compete in her party today, she has to speak a certain language and build bridges with people like Ciotti. And that's what she's attempting to do right now. And uh, it's hard to say if this is just because of the uh, primary dominating the news cycle, but since that, primary victory for Pécresse. She shot up in the polls um, and is, uh, you know, some, some, I think one poll recently that got a lot of attention showed her actually beating Macron in the second round. Uh, why does Pécresse do so well? Uh, well, sorry, sorry, let me say, actually step back. She's obviously has a serious enthusiasm gap in the first round. Uh, if you're on the right, uh, you know, she's not going to make you so excited to get out, get out and vote. Doesn't have the energy, the anti-establishment yeah. like aura. Um, uh, as, as, as Le Pen and, and Zemmour do. Um, um, but, but on the other hand, this is part of France's unconventional, uh, perhaps deeply flawed electoral system. If you have put Pécresse in the second round, 
uh, she does much better because she's able to rally together basically everyone on the right who's against Macron, so the Le Pen and the Zemmour people, um, at least in the scenario that was, that was being pulled, um, they would vote for Pécresse. And conversely, Macron's great, I don't want to say wild card because it's now fundamentally part of his strategy, but the Macron strategy has always been, uh, you have to vote for me because you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice if it's me yeah. against the fascists. Uh, I know you're going to come out and vote for me because you don't want to have Le Pen or now Zemmour become president. So if you have a imagine Pécresse versus Macron matchup in the second round, you know, people, I'll just be frank, people in my friend circles, uh, who, I mean, what's the difference, right? For a lot of people, that's the way people think. What's the difference between Pécresse and Macron, you know? And, I, yeah. and, and the, the Macron team understands that very well, which is why they are, are, are petrified, I think, of a second round matchup against the moderate right. Not because the moderate right is, uh, has, has such a, a great enthusiasm, but because just in terms of pure, you know, electoral coalition building, uh, are able to uh, rally people from the far right without polarizing everyone from from the left, at least not as much. Yeah, it makes sense because like Macron has just been heavily reliant on like the 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 quote unquote like Republican front. And yeah, we've seen. Uh, I I remember there was some tampering of like um, I can't remember that there was this media law that was passed that was kind of on the idea of um, past election results would inform how much ta- airtime you got. And that was passed under Macron. That seems very like, well, okay, now you're just giving more airtime to your party and the party you really want to be against in the in the second round, uh, Front National, uh, uh, or National Rally. The branding on that has not worked internationally. We like it's, uh, um, yeah. So I have a quick question. Yeah. So if you say they Macron and Pécresse would be almost the same, if Pécresse were to were to win. Uh, or a lot of people look at it that way. If Pécresse yeah. were to win, could we expect something different than the Macron second term we laid out earlier? Like, yeah, sorry, I was, I, I think, I, yeah, just just to just to be clear, I was talking more about sort of the image and how they're perceived and yeah. getting people to vote for you. But it's hard to say because uh, no, I think I think Pécresse already has some. You know, she's digging in more into the the right wing cultural agenda on a national level. I think there would be differences. So she says she wants to put quotas for immigration into the, into the constitution, mm-hmm. change the constitution to allow the government to do that. Um, I think you have much less of the, uh, um, you know, she's, she's, she's pro European union, but uh, not quite uh, the same level as Macron. You have less of, uh, frankly, she hasn't been president and doesn't have the same, uh, you know, sort of uh, European or international ambitions that Macron has been able to construct over the last few years. And, now has the privilege of being able to, uh, you know, to continue um, uh, defending on, on uh, with with the uh, the French presidency of, of the European Union. Um, mm. so, you know, so Pecles is, is probably more of a, of a wild card on, on that question of of, uh, of foreign policy, um, but because we just don't know that much about her, she's been a you know regional politician in, a, in the cabinet, working her way up in the Republicans. Um, you know, she's not giving speeches about, about foreign policy, but that'll be, you know, certainly something to watch. Anything else on? No, I mean, I, I think I can get into it another time, but I, I it kind of looked like, um, what, some character called Bertrand Berton got fucking screwed. Uh, no questions and, and, about the uh, left. I was expecting. No, 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 oh, no, 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 no. I was no, about no, to say before the left. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, looking yeah. at Kieran. I mean, Kieran's the one who added the, <laughs> I just want to talk about the, the, 
the sexy candidates. I mean, the, uh, yeah, you want to talk about the sexy <laughs> candidates. I want to talk about the two classically establishment parties. Um, mainly, I'm just pissed that like a whole bunch, I don't know if you noticed this, but a whole bunch of English publications are really pushing the idea that Hidalgo is the savior of French politics. And all of them, very suspiciously, uh, um, omit her polling numbers, uh, <laughs> yeah. which are abysmal. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, Hidalgo uh, appeals to uh, middle class, uh, well-educated yeah. people living in cities who are liberal on social cultural issues, but don't want too much radical change in terms of the economy. And, and that makes sense that, that, you know, the sort of intellectual class, uh, you know, across the Anglosphere uh, would be attracted to someone like that. She's you know, an environmentalist politician as well in Paris. Um, so yeah, perfect. makes perfect sense. So I think that's a good opportunity to talk about the left or what is, what is an actual alternative to anything? <laughs> Everyone we just discussed. Um, yeah. My impression was, okay, so most people again, know Jean-Luc Mélenchon yep. from the France Insoumise. Um, what, again, we can't, we can't get into, the, the, there's so much background that, that we'll have to skip, but like, mm. just is there a difference between 2017 and 2020 with like a French, um, like the French left? Because for example, I saw the, the communist party of France is running a candidate this time where yeah. they didn't last time they backed Mélenchon is Mélenchon in a weaker position than 2017 stronger or unclear. Or is there any change? Like yeah. what has the, the nature of the change, I guess. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> If you ask the Mélenchon people today, uh, if you ask Mélenchon himself, they'll, they'll say, uh, you know, that uh, you can't look at the polls right now because they're going to change. Um, Mélenchon is also an excellent campaigner. And so if you look even at 2017, uh, he had sort of this late push that put him within really uh, gave him a real shot of qualifying for the second round, finished just just behind uh not too far behind, I should say, Marine Le Pen. He had, he had about 20, 20% of the vote in the first round. Um, same thing in 2012 when he campaigned. Um, you know, he had this sort of late push uh, uh, and, and had a pretty solid score in, in, in 2012. Uh, and so, you know, the Mellonshaw people will say you can't look at the polling, polling numbers right now. Um, you know, that, that being said, I think it's fair to say that Mellonshaw's broader image, regardless of electoral polling, look at his broader image, uh, you know, it's, it's suffered uh, since 2017. It's declined uh, for, for a variety of reasons. Um, uh, you know, one famous uh, episode that, that, that people talk about a lot, uh, which really impacted him negatively, was this episode of the uh, police raids on the France Insoumise office um, in the context of an investigation into campaign uh, financing. Uh, in which, and perhaps you guys are, are familiar, probably familiar with this, uh, you know, there's this infamous video where the, they're conducting the police raid and Mélenchon gets in front of the, of, of one of the court officers, uh, and he's screaming at him in his face. And he says, he says, I, I am the Republic, um, yeah. which, which, uh, I, th I thought that's what French voters liked. Yeah. <laughs> like, I thought that's, I thought I they wanted to be like, said that all the time. I'm God emperor. You know, yeah. to, to, to be fair, Mélenchon was making an app, a reference to his status as a parliamentarian, meaning he represented the Republic and so he should be treated with respect. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it was a crazy thing to say and he was so angry and everyone only only, only saw 
Uh, I, I really like the idea that French people just say that all the time. Like you, you, you know, you order a sandwich and they screw up your order. It's like, oh, fucking bitch, what, I'm the Republic. What is the, <laughs> <laughs> what is the like? Uh, I guess I guess there's like different lefts, but let's say the like Mélenchon electoral left. What is what role do they play in this like circus that's going around? Uh, one thing I saw is that like often Le Pen is called like basically a communist by like Zamora or others. They're like, oh, that latest position from National Rally that's basically makes her like the communist party and stuff. So like, is Mélenchon being referenced? Is he not engaging at all? Maybe a good way. Uh, uh, to to talk about it is I saw that he debated Zamor, like Mélenchon, yeah. like challenged him. So did they actually debate? And if so, like what happened? Because yeah, I didn't they, see any of the actual. They did have uh, a debate. Mélenchon was criticized by a lot of uh, other people on the left in France for deciding to debate Zemmour. The idea being uh, that he would be further, you know, building Zemmour's credibility. Um, of course, now we saw just a few days ago the the economy minister. The finance minister debated Zemmour on, on television, so I'm not sure if they make the argument today. But regardless, that was that <laughs> argument was made at the time. I think it was in sure. September, October. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't want to give you false information. Um, in any case, uh, several weeks ago they had this debate, um, and Mélenchon, to his credit, I think has been one of the few politicians on the left to really confront the the far right uh, uh, and to say it sounds really silly to have to point this out, but Mélenchon is someone who will explicitly say that there's a uh, uh, attacks against Muslims going on today in France. And he says the word Muslims because uh, it's true. Muslims are being targeted in France. And it sounds so simple to have to point out, but Mélenchon is one, he's someone who actually uses that word. Won't make sort of vague references like Hidalgo or even who said for his part um, to the idea that, oh, there is racism and discrimination. But, you know, um, Mélenchon will say, uh, you know what, stop demonizing Muslims. And I think that matters. So Mélenchon, to his credit, has been pretty forceful in, in, in that respect. Um, which is sort of I- I- ironic, I guess, because his image before, certainly outside of France, has been that he's, you know, uh, attached to this sort of like French re- republicanism and it hasn't been so great on issues of uh, of racism. But Mélenchon has been, yeah. you know, very critical of, of police violence, very critical of the of the racist discourse that we see every today, every day in France, um, very critical of the of the Islamophobia, although he doesn't use that word, but that's a whole other conversation. He does talk. He does talk about, um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, attacks against against Muslims. Um, mm. So Mélenchon has been has been strong uh, uh, on that point. The, uh, the the problem is, he, you know, he has he has very negative uh, he has a very negative image um, because he's seen as um, again. I'm not saying I, I I agree with that, but he's he's seen by a lot of people as sort of extremely polarizing, sort of just this kind of. Um, you know, grumpy, like uh, irritable guy who's going to be upset about about anything that you, uh, you know, whatever idea that's being proposed by the government. He he continues to sort of have these moments where he where he rubs people the wrong way. Uh, you know, during the I'll give you just an example, and this is why Mélenchon is a complicated person, a complicated person. For people on the left, you see him on the one hand, um, you know, it's like great Mélenchon is taking on Zemmour by saying stop. Uh, you know, you're upset. Why are you so obsessed with with demonizing Muslims? That's great. Then Mélenchon will, um, you know, issue a, a stinging rebuke of, uh, you know, the need to have, uh, uh, you know, vaccine mandates or, or or support the movement, support the movement for uh, against the against the health pass, and really and really dig into that. And again, that's a you know discussion. 
we can have. Uh, it, things are different, certainly in Europe than, than in the U.S. But Mélenchon has, you know, they've dug into this anti-vaccine pass movement, um, which like literally is doomed to to fail. It was going to fail the movement, and so you can sort of ask the question: Well, what if if you want to be a a politician who's going to build a coalition around you to win? Why why dig into this uh, this anti-health pass movement that that that, that that's going nowhere? Um, I know people will be upset that I'm saying this right now, but but uh, <laughs> I think it's a fair a fair point uh, to make. Yeah, I, yeah. I think in hindsight, it really. I mean, I mean, I don't know what in France it is the deal of, but it's like because Germany's finally doing it with the vaccine mandate that was passed actually today. Of mm. recording this on the on the tenth, that the 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 Bundestag has agreed to a mandatory vaccine thing for like uh, healthcare workers in Germany which is how it started in I believe in France Greece had the same thing Italy had the same Austria's thing Austria's doing that as well yeah. yeah and um this is surprisingly not being met with much uh, even now a country that then has had a very stupid vaccine rollout not so much now because of Germany's bad vaccine rollout but because of uh, the massive anti-vaxxer movement in Germany, and there is like a class dynamic too to it as well. But I don't see this. This it's not. It's like it's like a non-issue at this point. You know, like it really is. Like it'll these these vaccine mandates will get you know uh, passed in in different forms. And I think within like a three month period, people will be like, oh yeah, they kind of had to do that because you know. I, I think the, the interesting idea, I, I think you put it very well, Cole, of just like calling them doomed because it, it's a combination yeah. of these two things you're talking about because it's not like. Uh, um, trying to rally those people around you only works for a certain extent because unless you're in government tomorrow, you can't stop the vaccine rollout from happening. And by the time they already have the vaccines, they're not really going to like, you can't come into government and say, well, we're going to take the vaccine out of you. Yeah, uh, the health, the health pass, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or any, any like, uh, I mean, sure, the, the health pass stuff, you could do that, but like, Hopefully in four months' time in France. Yeah. I'm going to suck my arm like I just got bit by a rattlesnake. That totally <laughs> works, right? Well, it's it's interesting because I guess I would like to ask how does... So if Mélenchon uh, represents, again, what I term this electoral left, what about the, like, maybe the, the street left, for lack of a better word? <laughs> because we did have the yellow vest, something we've barely talked about on the show. Mm. And that's something that I think has signified changes, resurgence, something of, of the left in France. They're the uh, widespread strikes that you referred to. Um, but is it fair? Like, how do those things relate? How does Mélenchon relate to those movements? And how does Mélenchon relate to the anti-health pass movement? And what are the differences, let's say, between the yellow vest, which I think also you know, was first labeled a very, and maybe was uh, a right-wing movement. Um, it certainly was, was uh, hailed as such by, by some uh, right-wing it was commentators mixed. around the world. Yeah. But you, you understand where I'm going. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, 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 w- I would disagree with that, calling it a, a right-wing movement, but it certainly wasn't a left-wing movement. It was sort of like a, uh, um, you know, uprising against, against the rising cost of living, uh, yeah. a, a lack of, of public services, uh, you know, neglect from, from, uh, from, from the government, um, very loose, uh, loosely organized. Uh, and so you had a lot of different issues that were represented. You had some far right elements, it should be said, you had also a lot of far left elements. Um, yeah, yeah there, ha- there have been very significant protest movements in France in the last few years, the yellow vests, obviously there is a huge wave of anti-racist protests, uh, last year, last summer, uh, you know, led by uh, Assa Traoré, 
Um, so part in part tapping into the Black Lives Matter movement in the U.S. and the protests uh, over George Floyd, but also uh, uh, tapping into uh, uh, this case in uh, in France about uh, Adama Traoré, uh, who died in, in police custody, Assa Traoré's brother, uh, in his early 20s, uh, that sort of galvanized uh, y- mostly young uh, French people, uh, 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 black French people, uh, Arab French people, uh, white French people. Um, I, I feel I, sorry when I when I when I when I speak in in, in English about about using <laughs> using France's like weird racial euphemisms and, and for not talking about race, it comes across yeah. it comes across as awkwardly. Um, anyways, so you had this big you know diverse protest movement um, that was uh, you know that took place last last summer that was full of young people that were not. Uh, you know, necessarily politicized. And, you know, I was there talking to people and it was really interesting to, to see that, you know, see that happen. Um, and, you know, you also have a, a strong environmentalist protest movement, movement um, you know, with, with, with mostly high school students uh, and college students as well. You know, all, all these movements, uh, you know, to get back to your original question, Mélenchon has, has, has tapped into them to a significant degree. Um, mm-hmm. Mélenchon has embraced the sort of anti-racist cause as, as, as central to his political identity. He's been really criticized for doing that. And I think actually to the contrary, it was a, a, the right move. Uh, and he should, he should be, you know, frankly applauded for it because no one else has the, has the courage to do something that, that, that should be so obvious. Um, you know, instead you had the, you know, the socialists, uh, you know, and, and the communists who say that they're, you know, against, you know, too much, too much identity politics. And so, you know, they, they see this as, as, as maybe too radical. Anyways, um, so, you know, you have some proximity with the movements there with Mélenchon. Um, you know, you also have the, the, you know, the farther left parties, you know, the, the, the NPA, the new anti-capitalist party that has close links to those, to those movements as well. Um, you know, and the Green Party obviously has links to the environmental movement. Um, you know, you know, we'll see what happens with the with the election. Uh, I don't think I think it's fair to say that not all these parties that you're seeing right now in the polls are going to be there come April 2022. Some of them are going to drop out. There's even efforts right now to to sort of spark left unity. Um, it doesn't seem to be yeah. going anywhere, but no, I I really <laughs> damn <don't>. really <laughs> no no because it's very it's very yeah. particular in France or at least how I've seen this kind of left unity discussion brought up, which is just like left unity almost seems to be this thing that's like specifically anti-Melanchon as well. Cause like a lot, like for whatever, for example, like France 24 will include left unity to mean like Hidalgo's party, the, the Greens party, Yannick or Janik or something. Yannick Jadot. Yeah, Jadot. Yannick Jadot. Uh, um, as like, and then, and then La France Insoumise is these like three parties that maybe need to unify in some capacity to have a real chance, but then also just being like, but you know, Melanchon can't be the leader. It's like, well, why not? He's the one like leading in the polls. He should be if you were to unite. Like, it, it's it seems very kind of like anti-left to a certain extent with that conversation of left unity, <clears throat> or at least how I've seen it. Yeah, right. no, I mean, uh, the thing is, everyone would say they're in favor of of left unity. Uh, Adago said she she supported it as long as they got behind her. Jadot said he supported it as long as they get behind him. Mélenchon says it yeah. as long as they get behind him. So I think to answer your question, I don't see Mélenchon's position as being fundamentally worse than what the others have been saying as well. Fabien Roussel 
the head of the Communist Party says Hidalgo should get behind him. So uh, it's not as if Mélenchon is is the only problem here. He certainly isn't. There's a a, a shared sense that uh, left unity can happen, but it needs to take place behind you know uh, the, the candidate yeah. that you want. I guess, I guess my argument to that would be like he's the only one. Where I think the credibility to say that because he's mm-hmm. like, you mentioned he's not on the top three candidates or four candidates if we include Macron because of what we've been talking about. But he's like I said, like Hidalgo's like maybe five percent I see is the highest, and he's like coming yeah. at nine, ten, or eleven. The the the, the general. Uh, sorry, why don't you go ahead? I want to. No, I I was just building off of uh, Kieran's question because I think that's what I think is so fascinating about, or why also people outside France care about. Mélenchon, because this is my last uh, Anglo-American comparison of the night. <laughs> but part of the reason people talked about Bernie or Corbyn was it's like, no, 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 this is different. They're special because they have a broader base. It's not a left-wing protest candidate running and getting 2%. There's something going on here. And so there's something that could be a common denominator or agreement for a movement. And does maybe, did Mélenchon, maybe I have a two-part question. Did Mélenchon have that in 2017? Does he still have it I, I I I conditioned my question. Did he have it in 2017? Does he have it in 2020? Because maybe it's just not the same, you know, agreement of like, no, no, no. Because what, what you're saying is predicated on not just him being a little, you know, three points higher than the Greens candidate, but being a center of gra- a center of gravity that could unite mm. a broad well, swath of the left from the street movements to other left parties. Yeah, I mean, just before I respond to that, I mean, if you look at the polling now, it's it's not like Mélenchon's lead is is that significant. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, at the Greens, you know, Jadot is like around seven, eight percent. Mélenchon is like nine, like ten, eleven. It depends on what polls you look at, but it's not as if there's a huge lead either from for Mélenchon versus versus Jadot. Um, but but about Mélenchon in 2017, yeah, you know, he, he he was able to build a really successful campaign that um, that tapped into, uh, you know, I think one of the I think fundamentally the most important thing about the Mélenchon campaign is that you have this general tendency, at least in 2017, the campaign, you have this general tendency across European and North American politics in which the historic parties of the left are uh, losing their ties to the working class uh, and the working class voters that used to vote for these parties. You know, it's something you can observe with the Democratic Party in the U.S. Uh, you know, you see it with, with the Labour Party in the U.K. I know Germany less well, but I think you, you probably see it with the with the SPD as well. Maybe, no, not as much. There, in any case, there is... No, opposite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's, there's uh, you know, and this is, this is research that, you know, I think it's in, in the latest... Um, the latest Piketty book, you know, he goes into this as well. And you have a, a sort of subset of people studying this in which you have this, this documented phenomenon. I think one of the, 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 the real qualities of Mélenchon in 2017 was his ability to not, to not reverse that trend, but to at least, uh, you know, conserve some, some ties between working class voters and, and, and a radical left uh, candidacy. Um, mm. I say radical left, but ultimately, you know, uh, just like a, a basic sort of social democratic uh, platform because the, the, the historic forces have abandoned that 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 cause. So you have it's you know taken up by parties that used to be considered to be further left. So Mélenchon's campaign, I think, was so successful in 2017 because it was able to do that. It was able to both get mm. uh, it was seen by a lot of uh, um, you know left wing middle class voters in cities with nowhere to go uh, as the right option, and it was also seen by people who. Um, uh, working class people who might not have even turned out at the polls uh, as as the right candidate, the candidate who was going to talk about, um, you know, who wanted to who, want, who wanted to raise the minimum wage, who wanted to crack down 
uh, on tax evasion, make the rich pay more, um, mm. uh, have the state make a have a more significant role in the economy, um, maybe reform the EU in a more progressive sense. All that worked in in, in 2017, um, <clears throat> and you know, uh, I'm not saying yeah, I I don't know if it's going to work again in in, in 2022. You know, a lot can happen, but it is worth pointing out a significant difference uh, from 2017 to 2022 is that his polling numbers, his his, his unfavorability ratings are, are really high because of, um, you know, because of this episode of the police raids, because of uh, the party's image under, under Macron. I don't know how much of that can be recovered because he doesn't have a great image, including among a lot of left-wing voters that backed him in 2017. Um so I'm not saying you know it's insurmountable. It's insurmountable, but it certainly seems like uh, an uphill battle. And I think you know, r- yeah, you know, right? Or go, go ahead. No, I just I'm not sure if it's from your article or not. Um, but this is from a late September study, which has his negative. I guess was it like a negative approval, like negative approval rating? I guess is the question asked. Uh, he was at 54 yeah. percent have a negative view. That's sandwiched between Le Pen at 52 yeah. and Zamor at 59. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. So, you know, and that, that, um, uh, you know, we can debate whether people should have that opinion or not, but it's a real thing. Uh, and you know, the, no, no one's allowed to have an opinion <laughs> on this show. And the other, That's, uh... you know, and, and, you know, the, the Mélenchon strategy, if you talk to their people is, is, you know, the strategy and, and it's difficult for me because I think, you know, uh, on the one hand, um, you know, my, my political, uh, affinities make me sympathetic to this sort of argument. Um, but on the other hand, it's something that hasn't really worked yet, uh, but it's this idea of, um, you know, we saw Bernie apply the strategy um, really in both in both campaigns. We saw Corbyn apply the strategy as well. Uh, this idea of saying, you know what, uh, uh, to win, we're not going to focus on, um, and I, you know, I think fundamentally it probably is the right position in terms of principles, but fundamentally we're not going to go after the, uh, you know, liberal leaning, uh, uh, professionals who, uh, turn out a lot at the polls. Um, we're not going to shift our campaign to talk to them just because they vote more. We have to run a campaign that's targeted at people that don't turn out at the polls that are working class, because that's the coalition that we need, uh, in order to govern and to win. That's the, you know, strategy that that the Bernie people applied. It's what Corbyn applied. It's what Mélenchon tried to do in 2017. It worked a little bit, but the question is, do you have enough People that can turn out and support you, are you able to connect with enough people, um, given the broader political landscape, given the fact that you have a weakened labor movement, given the fact that the left organizations are much weaker than they used to be, are you able to have that sort of message resonate in a way that, you know, maybe it would have uh, a decade ago, 20, 30 years ago? Uh, I'm not so sure about that. So that's the real gamble yeah. for Mellishaw, this, you know, turning out the, the people that don't turn out to vote. Uh, it's a, a noble cause, uh, I, I, you know, it just hasn't worked yet. <laughs> The, the last the yeah. the regional elections earlier this year had record low turnout. Yes, that, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was it was ridiculously low. But it's like uh, it's worth pointing out that uh, um, Bernie's like going to the disenfranchised, don't turn out voters. Kind of, I think works in the United States, or it makes a lot of sense in the United States, where your turnout rates are like yep. Eastern European. Worked, yes. Yes. president. Well, no, but like <laughs> it, it makes sense. Like it did work until he got like until the DNC S- fucking like, yeah, 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 yeah like three sixty no scoped him. But like, yep. but like you can you can look at the math sure. and you can look at the historical turnout rate in the United States and say this math checks out. There's like about almost fifty percent of this country that doesn't vote, but like that doesn't necessarily work out. 
Europe where it's like a low turnout rate in some European countries is like, I don't know, 79%. That's not like this This unvoting number isn't this huge, as huge amount. Yeah. Mm. I don't know if that's the same for France. No, for France, uh, yeah, compared to the US has has high turnout. So yeah, you have a, we're talking about a, yeah. a smaller pool of voters for sure. That's a, uh, it's interesting. And I, I'm curious to see how his campaign goes because I think I read somewhere that he's going to be doing door-to-door voting, which is not like, like door-to-door, sorry, campaigning, which is not normal for France. Yeah, uh, they, they, they've been doing that. Yeah, they have, you know, they have a, a, a really effect, a strong organization. You know, they have this whole like app, mm. <clears throat> app system set up where you can just, you know, engage in, in like a door knocking, which is again, as you pointed out, not a typical thing in France. So they have a, a big, yeah. strong campaign organization. The question is, can you kind of, you know, fight through this this really toxic you know shitstorm that that we're in today in in, in France and reach people. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I I'm trying to like in the next four months. My promise to the listeners is I want to try to understand France as much as I possibly can. A country where you can't like outright say that most candidates are being Islamophobic, but like Islamo leftist is an acceptable term <laughs> that could be printed. Uh, uh, it, it makes so much sense to me. This whole country. Um, I think that we've got. That, that's all I got. Yeah, My, we, I have one question for you, Cole. I don't know if you want to answer it, but <laughs> do you have a prediction who's going to be the Ooh. two runoff candidates? Because I mentioned the Macron as a shoe in earlier, and you you seem to. I was curious if you have any other ideas about what might happen. No, I was just saying that I don't think that uh, it's you know that he's a shoe, and that we don't. It's not you know. I, I think he's the likely favorite, but I don't know if you know. We don't know for sure that he's going to be in the second round. It's not obvious. Um, I mean, I guess I can give a prediction, but. On the, on the condition that we only play this, this only comes out again after my prediction comes true. I don't want this circulating if it turns out to be false. <laughs> sure. It only sure. can be shared if it's correct. We'll lock away in the vault. Um, no, I'm kidding. You can play it. I don't, I don't care. Um, <laughs> but I will only point it if it's correct. Uh, no, I mean, I think, um, I think, uh, I think ultimately, uh, you know, probably Pécresse and, and Macron. Um, okay. Mm. You, so exciting, so exciting, writing. I know, yeah. I, no, I, I, no, like, it, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting one because, like, yeah, there's this this chance as they get along that, like, Zemmour and Le Pen are going to start cannibalizing the vote for each other, and then at the same time, they're also kind of doomed candidacies because, like, they do, no, like, none of them perform well in the second round. I think, like, a lot of the predictions are, like, the, the matchups have Zemmour performing worse against Macron than Le Pen does and Le Pen isn't like doing too hot either so it's like there's also been a huge spike in uh, Republican membership as well well that was in order to vote in that was in order to vote in the the party congress um but yeah I think you know she becomes the 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 vote you see the the useful vote for for the right if you want to beat Macron you vote for Pickles and but you know, again, a lot can happen. So this, I'm sure, this prediction will, will probably be false. A lot can happen. You know. Yeah, French elections are are so long. Like, yeah. Oh my god. The, well, compared is, to Germany, I, I guess. Not compared. Yeah, to Germany's US. are six weeks. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Well, this is the thing that's becoming like more American in France as well. I remember. Yeah. I remember 2017 was like the first year in which like there was a televised Les Republicains debate, like for their primary. And ever, I remember the reaction on the ground from French people was like, this is very American. Mm. Yeah. It seems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Germany's very nice. And you have a, a federal law that says when the election campaign oh, yeah, yeah, can yeah. start, which is six weeks out of the election. We have uh, in That's Ireland. One of maybe the only German laws I kind of agree with. In Ireland, you get fined if the posters are still up. After yeah, same the, thing like, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that rule. Um, right. Thank you. With that, uh, uh, we've covered a lot. Uh, we've gone a little bit over time. 
Uh, cool. Thank you so much. Where can the people find you if you want to be found? Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Twitter, Twitter.com. I have a Twitter.com. I've heard uh, of it. I have a Twitter. <laughs> I have a Twitter page. I have a website. You can go colestangler.com. Cool. We'll have links to all of that in the description. Great. Um, I see. Uh, anything we have to say? We might still have a show on the 9th <laughs> of January. I think we will. Ending. I think I legitimately think that we will. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm confident of of the way that the um, government is going to ignore the problems. No, 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 <laughs> not that. I'm talking about in the sense of that, you know, uh, for the listeners who do want to, you know, potentially come and see us live. Uh, I have a little bit of confidence of going to the bars recently again. Yeah. And <laughs> Were no. you the bar expert? No, but <laughs> I'm um, a little drunk this right now. This is like an alcoholic version of the lawn sign no, no, argument. No. Of how they've been doing the like the the, the vaccine passport thing and how they've sure. been like, you know, up, you know, you have to check in this and that and that. I genuinely think that they're finally taking it serious now. Mm. I think that then that we can probably have our event. They're making it very specific that they do not want to do a lockdown. They do not want to have like, you know, uh, a like events canceled because of this and they really want to make it in the sense of like get vaxxed so that you can have you know a fun Fun. time so also the corner spatey message of if you're not vaccinated in the country of germany or anywhere should probably do that because then you can kind of go back to living your life kind of normal issue and most importantly you can come to our live show january 9th if you happen to be anti-vax for whatever reason and are listening to this get the vaccine and we will sell you pills that counteract it yeah exactly nick will suck it out of you like that rattlesnake exactly Uh, yeah, something that you have to learn in Arizona. A yeah, basic survival yeah, yeah. Of, of... <laughs> when the vaccines bite. Um, <laughs> right. With that, we will catch you on Friday. Ciao, yeah. ciao. Bye-bye.